Hello and welcome to another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast, your home for conversations with authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. My name is Sam Saddam, and today we'll talk to Andrea T. Fowler, author of Credit and Me, a book about financial literacy published at the end of 2018. But first, I wanted to tell you about some financial news that affects literacy. As you may know, Book Baby is located right outside Philadelphia, and we're proud to hear that the city has officially abolished library fines. Philly has a long history in books with resident Ben Franklin famously wanting just printer as his epitaph on his gravestone. Uh, But there were a number of competing libraries in the city until about 1895 when the Free Library of Philadelphia was opened. The library system now has over 50 different branches throughout the city and hundreds of thousands of books in circulation, including at least two books in my bag right now. Per Aaron Mussell of WHYY, the local NPR affiliate, the library system collects around $400,000 in late fees every year. It may sound like a lot, but it's really less than 1% of their budget. Those fees tend to place the largest burden on poor people who could benefit the most from the services offered at the library, but then avoid it altogether due to these fees. Several other cities have already switched to a fine-free system or are in the process, including Dallas, San Francisco, and even Salt Lake City. Susan Benton of the Urban Libraries Council told NPR that people seeing libraries as a community resource encourages people to take a more active role in their city and helps improve civic engagement. People even tend to bring books back earlier and keep things in circulation rather than intentionally taking advantage of the system, which was naturally the main fear. So on behalf of Book Baby, I just wanted to take a minute to applaud Philly and everyone else involved in this movement. Libraries are an important resource to instill a lifelong love of reading and all the benefits that go along with that. They're doing great work and helping building a better future. Next, we've got Andrea Fowler. Her book, Credit and Me, The Adventures of Growing the F Up, was published with Book Baby last year. It's a bit of a crash course in financial literacy intended for millennials like me. She's an entrepreneur and realtor in Texas and joined me via Skype. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we're going to start really selfishly here. How can I get my student loans forgiven? (laughs) That I don't have an answer for. (laughs) If I did, I would have did it already. (laughs) (laughs) So was Credit and Me your first book? It is my first book, yes. And what inspired you to write it? So basically what happened was I used to be a homeownership counselor where I would help people come in and we would help them redo their credit, meaning we would counsel them and try to help them understand how money worked. And in the midst of it, I was like, I'm telling these people these things and I haven't even been talking to myself. That's when I decided, oh man, I could probably write a book about this because I started helping friends. And that's when I also realized too, just talking about credit, it's not it's not a sexy topic. It's not a fun topic. So I was like, I, I may have to tell my stories in this to make it a fun and exciting topic to talk about and just learn from my experiences. How did you first start writing? Did you get a lot of encouragement? I did. I did. What happened was I started helping a lot of my friends. And when they started to see their credits change, um, they were like, I had one friend. I remember she bought her a car on her own and she didn't know what her credit was. And she was just like, okay, I've been working on an injury because we've been talking about it, but I'm, I'm going to go try. And when she went to go get the car, the credit score was way higher than what she thought. And she was like, I have to thank you for this because I wouldn't have been there without you. And for me, I'm just like, oh, it's just a friend being a friend. <laughs> so I said, you know what? You know, I said, I've been helping people at my job. I've been helping you. I might can turn this into a book 
that I can help other people near and far and just understand like the basics of credit, because that's the thing that scares people that is that they don't know the basics of it. Do you think that's a millennial thing that, that we don't understand financial literacy or, or is it uh, more broad than that? I think it's more broad than that because a lot of us aren't taught. And what I, what I tell in the book is more so you're indirectly taught about money and credit by what your parents do. So if your parents aren't that great about it, nine times out of ten, you probably won't be great about it unless you try to do something different about it. And I, I realized that as I help more clients at my job that, you know, a lot of people just don't know. And so what this book is, it's really geared towards millennials and people in college or fresh out of college or just, you know, getting into that age where they're starting to learn a little bit more about life because now you have the money to. And so I wanted to help them understand how to navigate credit and a little bit of money issues there too just so when you know they would have the same issues that I had or could learn from my experiences like I don't believe on college campuses nowadays that you could have credit card vendors on campus you know saying free pizza free this anymore but in case they're still there that helps people understand that if you don't have a job you can't pay this stuff back which I didn't think like that I was just like I have money in the bank so let's go spend it. <laughs> so do you think you know what do you think is the uh the reason why uh millennials in particular don't have that sort of financial literacy it's just not talk to us or or if i go back I, i've just been having this conversation in my head probably like for the past few weeks if i go back to it I was somewhat taught how to like budget and manage life as an adult. I took a class in high school, my sociology class, and we had to go out into the town, which my hometown is like a college town, Louisiana. And we had to go out, find an apartment, get groceries and split bills. We had to call everyone up in the town and say, well, how much does this cost? How much does this cost? And we had to really budget ourselves for it. That's a great idea at 16, but now at 31, I realized I didn't really understand that at 16. I just saw, oh, just opportunity to get out of class and go tour the city and pretend to do these things. But, <laughs> and, but I think it needs to be drilled in a little bit more at an earlier age. And, you know, start it up and drill it in early enough. The older you get, I would say, the more you start to understand it. So when you're off in college, you really understand it because in college, that's when you start to learn a little bit more. You have a checking account. And it's funny because me and my friends, we would go everywhere. You're like, oh, I'm going to get paid on Friday. I'll overdraw this account on Tuesday. I'll have the money back in there on Friday. Not thinking that everything that hits <laughs> is going to be charged an overdraft fee to where that little check you're getting on Friday is probably going to be nothing that you really need, you know? So it's a learning experience that if your parents don't know and they don't teach you, then you're not going to know. You're going to get into the real world and be just confused. Did you have a specific turning point in your life that uh, made you decide that you wanted to, to work on this? Yeah, actually, it, what happened was I got harassed by a creditor. Uh, <laughs> And when I was in grad school, and I think the bill was like $600. Like in, at that time, you're talking to a 23-year-old who really doesn't have like a really great job. So $600 is a lot. You know, um, at 31, I'm like, okay, here you go. You know, but at 23, it was like, I don't know where I'm going to find it. I don't know. I don't know. And so what happened was I got, I got arrested by that. 
And then I was like, okay, when I finish grad school, I'm going to want to buy a house. I'm going to want to do things just a little bit differently. And in order to do that, I knew my credit suffered and I need to figure out that way. So what happened was I started working for a community development corporation in Dallas. And I was we were doing homeownership counseling. And I remember talking to my boss. I said, would you counsel me so I could be able to buy a house as well? And throughout that process, I just made notes of what I did differently and what I learned. And I started using those to help friends. But it was just mainly because I wanted to buy a house. And I met this guy. <laughs> so like, It's funny because I tell this in the story. I met a guy who told me he didn't date chicks with bad credit. And I was like, oh. That, that sounds like you. <laughs> so I was like, I have to impress them. I have to have great credit. So let me figure out what I need to do. So on top of me wanting to buy a house and dating a guy who didn't date chips with bad credit. So I tried to pretend like I had great credit and I knew everything. And that's kind of what changed the whole scenario for me. I heard the term credit score so many times and I don't really understand where that number comes from. Like, what's the scale? <laughs> what's considered a good credit score? So I would, I like to tell people there's no such thing as like a great credit score. It just really depends. Like, of course, we have, you have those numbers that people aspire to have. So like 700s are up is what people aspire to have, but not everyone gets to have that. And then you have people who have a 600 credit score, like, oh, my credit score is bad. And it just, it really depends on what you're looking to finance. Honestly, the lower the score, the more expensive it's going to be for you to finance anything. And the higher the score, the least expensive it's going to be to where you're paying next to nothing in interest. So it's you have to know what that is and what are you necessarily using it for. So on like, um, let's say for a house payment, you're probably still going to get a great interest rate. But imagine how great your interest rate could have been said you had a 700 your score and your credit score is really based on like how long you've had accounts what type of accounts those are how often do you pay them on time like all of those are configured into what your credit score actually is so i know it's not zero to a hundred or anything like that what is the scale so with a FICO score, so there's a difference. So you have your Advantage score, which goes up to 950, and then you have your FICO scores, which just go, goes up to 850. So the FICO is used for mortgages, whereas Advantage score, a lot of car dealerships use Advantage scores. A lot of credit card companies, when they tell people their scores, they look at Advantage score. So I always tell people, Credit Karma is great. It's a, it's a great place to be when you're looking to figure out, okay, well, where is my credit? What's being handled on there? It's a great place to manage it, but it's not going to give you the accurate score. So for accurate scores, you really want to look at a FICO or whatever you're trying to have finance. Figure out what type of scoring models that they use and um, what's important to them. Because a lot of times when you're financing certain things, a lot of creditors only use certain credit reports. So, like, for instance, my credit union, they look at TransUnion. So TransUnion is my worst score. Guess who's probably not going to get a great deal with the credit union because they use TransUnion. And sometimes it's just asking questions like, okay, if you're going to pull one credit bureau, which one is that? So you can know ahead of time, okay, this is what this score is looking like. Is it going to be a venture score or a FICO score? Because if it's a venture score, then some of your numbers on Credit Karma may be sort of correct. But if you're looking to do a mortgage, they look at all three scores and they're looking for your FICO score, which in most cases can be higher than what Credit Karma is saying compared to 
um, compared to that. And then I have some people, like now I do real estate. So I have some people say, well, my credit karma score said I'm at a 675. And then they pull their FICO score and they're way lower than that. So it just really depends on who you're talking to and what are you trying to get financed. So what are some steps that somebody could take to improve their credit? The first step will be basically what I like to say is look at your credit report. Every year you get one free credit report is from annualcreditreport.com and go through it and make sure that all the debts that are on there are actually yours. Like a lot of debt is just incorrect and it's not people's actual debt. And it could be just something very simple. Maybe somebody has a close name of yours, or if you're like, if you're a junior and you share the same name as your dad and they're a senior, maybe some of you guys' credit things are getting mishandled on there. Just make sure things are correct on your credit as well is what's the first thing. Cause a lot of information is incorrect and it can cause people to have a low credit score. And then I would say if you have credit cards, a lot of people tend to think that credit cards are bad. I say credit cards are great, but you have to know how to work the credit card game because it's a numbers game. That's all credit is. It's really a numbers game. And if you know how to work it, you could do anything. So if you have credit cards, try not to spend no more than 30% of the limit. And you'll be pretty okay. And pay bills on time. Those easy things. Pay bills on time. Therefore, you don't have to worry about them being charged off on your credit. And keep your credit cards below 30% of the limit. And what do you see as the biggest challenge for people to try and live by those rules? Um, uh, Money. <laughs> so money plays a part in that. So um, I'll have people like, oh, I can't pay this off because I have this and that and the other. So in order to work on your credit, the key thing is to know how you spend your money. And in the book, I play, I talk about that too. I say you have to know a spending plan. And I like to call it a spending plan because you're going to spend your money. You need to plan how you spend it. So make sure that you have a section of your money is going to a savings account. Try to save at least 10% of what you make each paycheck or make a month. And if that may be too much, try to get in the habit of saving something. Even if that's $5 from every paycheck, get into the habit of saving something. That's good advice. This will get back to the uh, book itself. How did you uh, find Book Baby? I was having lunch with a friend and I told her, I was in the midst of writing my book, which really took three years to write just because I had it all in my head, but it was never on paper. And so um, I had the outline finished and I said, okay, I know if I have the outline finished, I can start writing it. And I had one friend said, why don't you just look to go to Book Baby? They do independent publishing and they'll set everything up for you. So I looked into it and I think I didn't contact Book Baby. It's like a year later. <laughs> And I got all the pricing. And then even after that, it took a year later before I actually went forward with everything. So what won uh, your business for us? Basically, I just liked how um, easy it was for me to do. Like, I am I can do technology. Like, we had issues here <laughs> today. <laughs> but I'm like, if it's easy for me to do and just get on and do it, that makes life so much easier. So what I did was I did two editing processes. I worked with an editor. And then I used Book Baby's editor, too, to just re-edit that process. Because I, was, I didn't want it to be where things were missed. And I didn't have a chance to correct them after the fact. So the process was really easy and you guys laid everything out and I always got like magazines about the different products you guys had out that I could use. And I really trusted that for as an independent author who was writing their first book, the process was really simple. And I felt like you guys sent out emails too to tell me how to take advantage of things being an independent author. And how did you find our editing process? I thought it was really easy. Like, I swear, as soon as I made the payment 
to move forward, as soon as I uploaded it, everything just really started going. And I was like, oh, so I'm I'm really doing this. Um, the editing process wasn't hard at all because my book is a quick read. So I tell people you can get through it in a 30-minute setting. So don't feel like it's going to talk all day. Um, and so the editing, it was basically an easier process than it was going through the book the first time and having it edited. Um, because I know even with editing with Book Baby and editing with my editor, I think it it became like a generational and maybe a cultural difference because some things that I would say, like with Book Baby Editor, they were like, uh, I don't understand that. And I said, culturally, it makes sense, okay? Like, I, I wanted to say that. And then with my editor I had beforehand, I think it was more of a age difference because I was quoting something about, like, um, maybe just one part of a lyric of a book of, or maybe just my thought process when I thought about something came from a lyric that I heard and she was like, yeah, because Tupac said that. And I was like, no, that was Migos. Like, <laughs> and it was like, I was like, no, I, I, just, I didn't even know Tupac said that. I was like, it was a Migos song. And so I was thinking about that song when I wrote that. And so it showed me like just the differences and making sure that the editors understand like some of those differences and like, no, I need that in the book because that makes that what it is. What sort of marketing did you do? So I'm big into social media and that's just the thing that I do even in my real estate business today. So I did use social media as that as a tool to let people know about it. And I also just use a lot of word of mouth marketing. Um, one of the things is I'm geared towards college students. I have been getting in touch with universities and saying, hey, can I come and talk about my book? My um, my grad school alma mater was the University of North Texas. They actually have a student money management center, which was like the first of its kind that I had saw. Like we didn't have that. I went to LSU and we didn't have that type of thing in undergrad. So I, I utilized it a lot when I was in grad school and they happily invite me back to talk about my book and just talk about my different experiences being an entrepreneur and now being an author and talking about credit and money to help a lot of students when getting ready to graduate and what to expect in the real world. So those are the different things that I've used for marketing on the book. Are you still marketing now? I know your book's been out for about a year, right? Yes, yes. I still market it. Like, it's funny because I'll have people, it's like all on my Facebook page, even my business pages, and I'll have people say, oh, I didn't know you wrote a book, but I was like browsing through your page. And I'm like, you had to be deeply browsing <laughs> through my page to find that. <laughs> Because I'm like, I don't post about it a lot. I, I know I come back around the holidays and graduation time because I want it to be a book that could be a gift at, at any times of the year. So I come back and market it around that time. It's like a graduation gift. Mm -hmm. And so when people see it, they go and buy it. And I'm always shocked because like with Book Baby too, I can control like what's being spent and like, you know, how the sales are going. And so when I check it, I'm like, oh, where did this come from? <laughs> So people still find it and I make sure people will give me reviews on it because I know people are strong about reviews. So just that word of mouth marketing really, really helps a lot. So we had a uh, individual from a, a marketing company previously on the podcast telling us about uh, how to use the book as a business card. Is that something that you do for your primary job? Actually, you know what? I so when I work with first-time homebuyers, sometimes what I do is if they're if they know they have credit challenges, sometimes I really have handed the book out and say, "Hey, this is a quick read. Read it. It tells you how to start the process." Because a lot of times when it comes to credit, it's not that it's challenging. People just don't know. So I have given it away, like at my homebuyer workshops or at a one-on-one -on -one consultation with buyers. That has been something that I've given away to say, "Hey, here's a book and read it." 
good. And, you know, if you like it, don't forget to give me a review. But, you know, here's a book to read and go from there. What about LinkedIn? We've heard that that's really good for business books. Have you used any ads on there? I haven't. LinkedIn hasn't been one. And I think it's because I think LinkedIn has changed a lot. So when I was finishing college, LinkedIn is where you went to go find a job. And so in my head, which I know LinkedIn has changed, but in my head, I'm like, you go to LinkedIn to find a job. Well, yeah. it, it could be in my head too, because you used to use Facebook if you were a college student, you use mm -hmm. Facebook to find like events and parties, you know, <laughs> on campus, which is totally different to what it is now. So do you, ha uh, do you have any other books coming out in the future? There are others that I want to write in the future. And I think the way that I would want my books to be constructed is just telling parts of my life. So the next one that I really want to focus on is just talking about my world and entrepreneurship um, and just talking about things you don't know. Like, I think the hardest hit that I didn't know about entrepreneurship was just taxes. Like, there's probably going to be like three, four five chapters of the book just talking about taxes and how not to do what I did. <laughs> But that's pretty much like my next book is just talking about entrepreneurship. And are you going to use Book Baby for that? I sure am. <laughs> so we like to hear. <laughs> Do you have any upcoming events you need to plug? No, not at the moment. I really don't. So, But I will say this. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you're looking into homeownership or just learning more about where to go to get your credit up without using like credit repair companies, give me a call or contact me. My Instagram handle is at N-E-W-A-V-E-R-E-A-L-T-Y. And that's New Ave Realty. And I can connect you with credit counseling agencies in DFW. Or if you're looking to purchase a home, I'd be more than happy to find you a home in DFW as well. So those are the next things that I have going on. And I plan on doing some more workshops just to talk more about the book in 2020. So if you follow my Instagram, you'll definitely be able to figure out new things happening. All right. Well, sounds good. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Andrea's book, Credit and Me, The Adventures of Growing the F Up, is available on Bookshop now. As always, please follow, like, and rate our podcast on whatever app you're using. If you want to learn more about BookBaby, check out www.bookbaby.com or reach out to us, info at bookbaby.com or give us a call at 877-961-6878. Thank you to Andrea Fowler for talking with me today, and thanks to Jim Foley, BookBaby's Director of Operations, and Brian Lipsky, our producer. My name is Sam Saddam, and until next time, this has been the Book Baby Spotlight Podcast.